Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Foss Corporation, LLC. Welcome to the Mansion on the Hill. This is the home of Terry's Serious Moments. Stories of oddness, of weirdness of nature gone strange. This is season four. We thank you for coming along for the ride. Hope you enjoy it. Hello, everybody, and greetings from the very hot state of Texas. Florida may seem warm and sunny, but there's a dark side to the Sunshine State. The stories on this list may be sinister and mysterious, and they all have one thing in common. They remain unsolved. There are no easy answers when it comes to these unsolved murders, disappearances, and unidentified victims discovered in the state of Florida. The freighter Freedon disappears with nine people aboard. Lisa Lynn Bishop was a 23-year-old journalism student at Georgia State University in Atlanta. She was in her senior year and had fallen in love with writing at a young age. Lisa Bishop dreamed of being an investigative journalist, which led the 23-year-old to travel to Haiti in December of 1988 aboard the freighter Freedon. Bishop intended to write a story contrasting the poverty and economic disparity between Haitians and Americans, but she did not arrive at her destination and was never heard from again. Prior to the doomed voyage, Bishop met Florian Meyer Borch, a German living and working in Miami, Florida, who invited Bishop to accompany him on the trip to Haiti. The Metroplex Club, where Lisa worked as a manager at the bar, was where she met Florian Borch, a German national from Hamburg. Borch was known as an irresponsible grifter. He was a marine mechanic and sea captain who had previously sailed the Caribbean. He was described by acquaintances as a drifter and sometimes went by the name of David Florian. Florian was a regular at the Metroplex, given his interest in reggae. Although he frequently visited Atlanta, he lived in Miami, Florida, and Bishop's family and friends tried to talk her out of making this long trip with him. On December 17th of 1988, Bishop ignored their pleas and left the port of Miami aboard the Freedon with Borch and seven crew members. The Freedon never arrived at its destination in Haiti on Christmas Day, And when neither Paul, who was Lisa's boyfriend, or Lisa's parents got a call from her, they began to worry. 
They contacted the families of the other crew members, and, and when they found out that no one had heard anything from anyone on the freighter, they contacted the U.S. Coast Guard. The Coast Guard spent days searching the old Bahama Channel for the freighter, but found no signs of it. There had been no distress calls, and the Coast Guard presumed that the boat had capsized in a sudden storm, which is a common occurrence at sea. However, in April of 1989, Bob Nyberg, an underwater salvager, read about the Freedon's disappearance in the newspaper. He contacted Paul to tell him that he had seen the freighter two weeks after it had been reported missing in Georgetown Harbor on Grand Cayman. He remembered it clearly because he had commented to a friend about the strange spelling of the name. He told authorities that the boat was there in the afternoon, but by the next morning there was no sign of it. The following month, Bob and Paul visited the Grand Cayman. During their visit, they discovered that many people had seen Florian there around the same time that Bob had seen the freighter at the harbor. Florian hadn't been sighted alone. He was accompanied by another man who was described as short and black-haired. In the meantime, Paul had come into contact with an acquaintance of Florian's, a woman in Miami, who had been storing his possessions. When Paul returned from the Grand Cayman, he visited the woman. When he told her about the short, black-haired man, she showed him a picture of the person she believes was Philippe, a Haitian man who chartered the Freedon. The man in the picture did match the description perfectly. She also spoke about Philippe's possible connections to smuggling operations. Theories to what happened to the freighter and its passengers include them being killed by pirates, or having disappeared because of our old standby explanation, the Bermuda Triangle. Some consider human trafficking, although others argue Lisa doesn't fit the profile. Despite the obvious suggesting that the boat sunk, there have been no traces of such found. But many believe this to be the case. If the old freighter did sink, it would explain why none of the people on board made any contact in the decades that have passed with any family members. But this not only contradicts Bob's sighting and the various people in the Grand Cayman, but also the many reported sightings of the boat since. People have claimed to see it as recently as 2013. A member of the Navy reported seeing the freighter, which had apparently been renamed to Freeliant. Some others theorize that Florian and Philippe were both involved in smuggling, probably drugs. Potentially, Lisa became a liability by witnessing something she wasn't meant to. Others suggest a drug deal gone bad. It is possible that Philippe owned a white boat which he used to travel from one island to the other, but this lead seems to have been unsubstantiated. If Florian did survive the freighter, his family claims they haven't heard from him since 1988. He is also wanted by the police for questioning. After doing his own investigation, Paul even believes that Florian's real name is Florian Meyer Borchert. None of the Haitian crew members, whose identities were never released, have ever contacted their families. And to the present, no one from the Freedon has come forward and questions concerning why Philippe chartered the boat for Borch or why they wanted Bishop to join them remain unanswered.
That poor Bermuda Triangle gets accused of a lot of stuff. The remains of eight people were found in Fort Myers. In March of 2007, authorities discovered the skeletal remains of eight people in a tract of land in Fort Myers, Florida, after a surveyor reported seeing human bones. The bones lay unburied for possibly eight years or more, clustered closely enough to suggest a serial killer may have used the swampy area as a dumping ground. Leaves and other natural debris covered the victims, who ranged from 18 to 49 years old, and had no outward signs of trauma on their bodies. DNA evidence helped investigators identify two of the victims as Eric Kohler and John Blevins. Kohler's family reported him missing in October of 1995. Blevins also disappeared in 1995, but no one reported him missing until the remains emerged in 2007. A third victim, Jonathan Taihe, also went missing in 95 and was identified by DNA in 2008. All three men lived hard existences, marred by drug addiction, homelessness, and run-ins with the law. Local media suspected the involvement of known serial killer Daniel Conahan, who was serving time for the murder of a drifter and thought to be involved in the hog trail murders of five people in the 1990s. But investigators found no evidence connecting Conahan to the Fort Myers deaths no known causes of death, and no other leads concerning the final resting place of the eight men. In related news, human skeletal remains seem to keep showing up in Fort Myers and Lee County. It does seem as there may indeed be a serial killer at work, or could it be that this place is a place where people who've fallen out of society go to die alone? Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Two men disappear after the same officer arrested them. This is a story that is just eat up with strangeness. Collier County Sheriff's Corporal Stephen Calkins arrested Philippe Santos in October of 2003 after Santos allegedly got into a minor car accident on his way to work. Calkins responded, arrested him and then never booked him, supposedly dropping Santos off at a nearby Circle K store instead. Calkins pulled over Terrence Williams for suspected driving without a license in January of 2004, but claims he dropped the man off at the same Circle K. Neither Santos nor Williams arrived at the police station for booking after their interactions with the former sheriff, who was fired after giving contradicting statements during the ensuing investigation. Calkins received notification in October of 2018 that Williams' family intended to sue him for wrongful death, and Calkins claimed no responsibility for the disappearance of Williams and requested 
a trial by a jury of his peers in the court proceedings. Despite filmmaker and actor Tyler Perry offering a $100,000 reward for information leading to the whereabouts of Williams and Santos, no leads or information surfaced. The two men remained missing. The Sims Family Triple Murder It was October 22, 1966, and many of the citizens of Tallahassee, Florida, were attending a football game in the Northern Florida Fair, but not the Sims. The two older daughters, aged 17 and 16, were out babysitting. At their home in Muriel Court Drive were Robert Sims, 42, his wife Helen, 34, and youngest daughter Joy, 12. It was supposed to be a normal, quiet night, but it was anything but. Around 11.15, Jenny Sims arrived home from babysitting to an incomprehensible scene. Robert was lying on top of the bed, blindfolded, gagged, and bound, with one shot wound to his head. He was still alive, but not for long. Helen was on the floor, also blindfolded, gagged, and bound, and had been shot three times, twice in the head, once in the leg. She was also still breathing, but would die nine days later at the hospital, without ever regaining consciousness. Joy got the worst of it. Not only had she been shot in the head, but was also stabbed at least six times in the torso. There was evidence that she may have been sexually assaulted. She was already dead. It looked like the attacks hadn't happened too long before Jenny got home, which was later confirmed by a neighbor who claimed to have heard screams at around 10.45 p.m. Investigators at the crime scene said there was no sign of forced entry and nothing had been stolen. There was even money left in plain view. Whoever had done this seemed to know the Sims and had a personal motive for the murders. Among some of the interesting evidence found at the crime scene, the knots used to bound the Sims was a specialized kind of knot. Former Assistant State Attorney Jeremy Mutz claimed in a Reddit post in 2017 that everything indicated that the murders had been planned, that the killer or killers had spent time cleaning the scene, and suggested it would have to be someone who would feel comfortable being seen in the neighborhood without raising suspicions. The crime shocked the community, leading even to cancel trick-or-treating that year out of fear that there was a killer still on the loose. No one could understand who would want to target a well-liked family with no known enemies. At first, the investigation focused on a high-profile member of the city, Pastor C.A. Roberts. Helen had worked for him at First Baptist Church, but had quit her job just a few days before she was murdered. The reason of why she resigned was a mystery, but there was a lot of speculation that she disapproved of Robert's philandering ways. In fact, his affairs with many local women and being considered a suspect in this crime eventually destroyed his career. Pastor Roberts had been seen at the football game. Not only had he been seen by many witnesses in both halves of the game, but there was video footage of him there. Other potential suspects were a young couple that lived in the same neighborhood as the Sims. Mary Charles LeJoie, who was 19 at the time, was described as odd and obsessed with death. She had been caught several times breaking into funeral homes. 
Her boyfriend, Vernon Fox Jr., who was 21 at the time, was called a loner and was suspected of being a peeping Tom. He was even spotted peeping on Joy Sims a week before the murders. In the 1980s, Mary Charles went back to Tallahassee to voluntarily talk to the investigators and suggested that Vernon, who was by then her husband, had committed the murders. Her motives to turn on him were dubious, especially when she showed interest in the reward money. Still, there was plenty of reason to suspect them, considering they kept giving conflicting statements to the police, but there was no hard evidence that would lead to an arrest. Solving the crime was difficult because more than a thousand people trampled the crime scene during the investigation, destroying evidence and leaving behind trace amounts of their DNA and physical detritus. The murders of the Sims remain unsolved. Aspiring actress Tammy Lynn Leppert disappeared after an argument. Actress Tammy Lynn Leppert began appearing in movies in 1982, including a small part in the 1983 movie Scarface with Al Pacino. But before Leppert took a trip to film the B-movie Spring Break, Leppert's best friend, Wayne Flanagan, noticed a change in her behavior, specifically paranoia and evasiveness. Leppert's mother, Linda Curtis, said her daughter had a meltdown at home that involved screaming and breaking windows in the month before she disappeared. Leppert underwent a 72-hour observation in a psychiatric unit, but was not diagnosed with any mental illness or drug or alcohol dependence. Her mother also claimed Leppert mentioned being afraid of someone and had a breakdown on the set of Scarface. On July 6th of 1983, 18-year-old Leppert left her home with uncombed hair and traveled with an unidentified male friend in his vehicle. The friend later told police the two had had an argument and he left Leppert alone at an Exxon gas station in Cocoa Beach, Florida. Police and Leppert's family suspected a connection to a known serial killer named Christopher Wilder, but no evidence existed to support his involvement. Another serial killer, also a suspect, named the vampire rapist John Brennan Crutchley, lacked evidence to be connected there as well. Curtis maintains that her daughter had knowledge of a drug and money ring in Florida, and her death resulted from that knowledge. As of 2018, Leopard remains missing, and the case is unsolved. Jennifer Odom was murdered, and police involved a psychic. The parents of Jennifer Odom contacted police after the 12-year-old never arrived home from school on February 19th of 1993. Volunteers scoured the orange groves and tree-filled areas near her house, and Jennifer's body turned up six days after she disappeared. The brutally murdered preteens' attackers remained elusive so police brought in a psychic named Nancy Meyer to generate possible leads. Meyer told police that she saw two abductors involved in Jennifer's kidnapping and murder and insisted they approached the preteen under the ruse of getting directions. 
She further claimed both men worked as mechanics with the ability to lift heavy objects and that one of them smoked heavily. Meyer also saw a case with letters on it that turned out to be a clarinet case belonging to Jennifer's cousin, which the girl had with her the day she disappeared. Unfortunately, the only suspects in the case, Al Kiefer Jr. and Jeffrey Norman Crum Sr., were never conclusively linked to Jennifer's death, and Myers' leads never gave police enough to prosecute anyone, leaving the case unsolved. I don't know what I think about psychics. I think some of them have a, a good ability, a real ability. I think others have an ability to put thoughts together in such a way that, that they come up with a good telling of a story. I just don't know. Baby Sabrina Eisenberg was kidnapped from her home. On November 24th of 1997, Steve and Marlene Eisenberg discovered their five-month-old daughter, Sabrina, missing from her crib. Police arrived and allegedly found the home in disarray, but no signs of a break-in other than a garage door left open overnight. Police were suspicious that the couple possessed very few photos of the youngest of their three children and discovered a video of Sabrina filmed by Marlene that supposedly showed bruises on the child and a missing chunk of hair. Investigators hid recording devices throughout the couple's home and attempted to prove a connection to the missing child through statements made by the Eisenbergs on tape, statements found later to be misheard and misinterpreted. Charges filed against the grieving parents, arrests, and a subsequent trial ended with the charges dropped and a reward settlement of $2.9 million from the prosecutors to the Eisenbergs for the court costs. While investigators focused on the family and didn't pursue any other leads, the trail ran cold and baby Sabrina remained missing. Several young women, believing they might be the girl, have provided DNA samples to authorities, but the case remains open. Well, that's it for this week, folks. I want to remind you that you can find Aaron Hunter on the RPA app on Mondays doing listener stories with Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast. On Tuesdays, you can find Aaron Frail doing Aaron's Horror Shows where he reviews movies, books, things he's written, and deals a lot with maybe the scarier aspect, books and things. On Wednesday, you find me, Terry from Texas, with Terry's Mysterious Moments, where we talk about just about anything. I don't stick to one particular genre of story, so we can have fun with it. We have video shows from Full Dark Productions and The Witching Hour. Aaron has just recently added a new concept to our lineup with something called entertaining short films. But it's just it's just stories, little things. Uh, consider Twilight Zone kind of stories. In order to get the RPA app, you need to get on your app store, whether you have an Apple or an Android, it doesn't matter. Get to your app store and look for the RPA app, which is a black square with a blue eye in the middle of it. You shouldn't be able to miss it if you see it. You download that, 
you install it onto whatever device you like listening to your podcasts on, and you can use it to get directly to the shows that RPA has on it. You don't have to go looking for them. If you need to contact me for any reason, contact me at Terry's Mysterious Moments at gmail.com. That's all lowercase letters, no apostrophe on Terry's. And if you want to write to me on Facebook, you can catch me at Terry's Mysterious Moments Facebook page. And I think that's about it. Thanks for being here and listening to the show. We'll talk to you again later.